Hello, and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Tequil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Ellen O'Connor to the show. Welcome, Ellen. Hey, how are you? Welcome, Ellen. Thank yes. you. And I will. I do have to mention that we are recording during spring break, so we are grateful and thankful that Ellen took the time during her, her break to, to record with us today. So I want to mention that off, off the get-go. And My also pleasure. that you wear many hats on this campus. You are the Assistant Athletic Director for Athletics, and you are also a, a faculty member in the PE department. Is that correct? That and is on, true. And on and, both fronts, yeah, go on, Akil. And a former basketball coach at SVCC, correct? True. Yeah. You got to throw that yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially okay. during, you know, March Madness. Exactly. Oh, that's right. Which, which, yeah, my bracket is totally busted. But <laughs> <laughs> you and everybody else. Like, I don't think anyone, yeah, is survived. Mine's, mine's look just fine. Uh, <laughs> but the question is are we talking about your men's bracket or the women's bracket? Good. Yeah. And, and the, the women's bracket has been a little more kind of the, the, the rankings have played out a little better. But I mean, yeah. It, it is it is interesting that I don't know if it's just this year or just in general that that because the, the way the rankings go and stuff that it's just harder to evaluate certain teams. So they yeah. come in as really crazy seeds and they just like blow, you know, blow, blow people's minds. Yeah, especially with, uh, you know, you're seeing so many teams that played very few games and others that played, you know, uh, many more games. And yeah, really interesting tournament this year. Yeah. On, on both sides. And I had UCSB winning that first game, and they were so close. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, great season for them. Yes, absolutely. They were a great team. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, just in terms of uh, on both fronts, athletics and PE. Y'all have been at the forefront of kind of the COVID, kind of navigating this COVID, this world we live in, and, and started the planning started for you, I'm sure, way, way long time ago. So if you could just go into that a little bit in terms of how you've had to adjust and shift and constantly kind of, you know, adapt to what's going on just, just a little sure. bit yeah. sure yeah we um so you know there there were all kinds of meetings that we've had with uh, colleagues throughout the state both uh on the physical education front as well as on the um athletic front in terms of trying to figure out you know how how do you do physical education uh activity classes remotely and so in terms of pivoting uh, last spring, where we were already partially, you know, face to face and then moving into an online format, <clears throat> you know, that was sort of one set of, of planning. Um, but the real planning then was, you know, how do you do this and deliver quality curriculum over, um, a, you know, a semester? And so um, I, I'm working with some folks throughout the state who are, um, this is actually pre-pandemic, we were looking at developing a um, professional development um, association for California Community College Physical Education, Kinesiology, Dance Instructors. And so the uh, pandemic sort of highlighted that. And so there was lots of chatter and communication throughout the state in terms of how do we provide quality programming uh, for our students. And so that actually was really helpful in terms of kind of best practices that people were seeing um, in terms of remote. And then also how do we try to bring students safely back on campus if that's possible in um, outdoor settings. It was really clear in July that uh, we were not gonna be able to be indoors and that outdoor settings um, were probably okay under certain conditions. 
So looking at then, you know, how, how do you create those conditions? So uh, in our case, looking at how can we utilize the uh, La Playa Stadium to be able to deliver programming for our students uh, in person, socially distanced, um, you know, without the exchange of equipment, et cetera. And um, how would we clean? How would we um, assess whether students should be on campus in terms of um, just their own health and safety? So uh, do we uh, utilized healthy rosters, which is a, a mechanism that students identify uh, symptoms, et cetera. And then they get cleared to basically come onto the campus uh, and then are allowed then <clears throat> with a temperature check and some um, questions to then enter into the outdoor classroom. And you went and you launched in the fall with outdoor classes? Yeah, uh, it was kind of midway through um, and then um, ended right before Thanksgiving. And then we are um, back with some in-person physical activity classes uh, in the spring as well. Yeah, so just seeing that kind of roller coaster where you're on, you're off, and, and it's, it's circumstances all external to what you were doing. So you had all these plans and processes in place. You had really catered to the guidelines. You followed them to a T, and the guidelines shifted. And then you have to pivot again yes. and re reconvene and talk to everyone, you know, your colleagues and peers. I mean, it's just it's a lot, and it really kind of it speaks to, to how, how the extra mile that everybody goes to kind of serve the students and kind of serve the, the program itself, you know, the, 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 the values and the program learning outcomes that you're trying to, to, to communicate to folks. I mean, you, you really, I mean, especially in this environment, you had to go the extra mile and you did, you did it over and yeah. over again and you came back with, with re revised guidelines and, and launched again. And, you know, so. Yeah, there was plan A, B, C, C, one, two, three, D, E, you know, <laughs> it just kind of kept going on and on. Uh, you know, really about, you know, I think it was the end of end of June, maybe the first part of July, I ended up going to um, uh, gyms were allowed to open. And so these were, you know, these were private sector uh, gyms that were allowed to open. And so, you know, okay, well, what would that look like for the fitness center if we were to do that? So I went and hung out at a YMCA for the day and looked at um, how they were interpreting the um, California State Department of Health guidelines for um, exercise and, and fitness centers. So I went and looked at all of those, studied those, went and then observed how they were implementing those. And, you know, was this something that we could do? And I was, um, I, I was kind of uncomfortable. I, you know, I, I'm not quite so sure that we can really do this in the, in the large sense uh, with, with the fitness center. Um, and then probably I started to do more research and I, you know, I was really, the, the ventilation was really the biggest concern. And so, um, uh, you know, eventually I was like, you know, I'm not so sure about that. And then lo and behold, it was no, nope, no more gyms. So, uh, and, and if you're, you know, the go ahead was for uh, outdoor only activities uh, with limitations on number of participants also. So that's where we were in terms of, you know, can we do this safely on campus? And so uh, we've been able to do that. Um, you know, uh, Kathy O'Connor, who's the department chair, uh, physical education department chair has just uh, done um, amazing work to be able to get all the implements in place um, and, and authorizations to be able to really provide a quality experience for our students in a safe manner. I'm curious to know, has enrollment, have you guys noticed a trend? If it, has enrollment been up or down or kind of steady throughout the, the pandemic? Uh, activity or, or lecture classes? Uh, activity. Or both. 
like the uh, PDs, one forty nine, one seventy nine. Oh, those uh, are definitely yeah. down. You know the. Mm -hmm. um, so what we've been using in that case, those we we went to um, because the fitness center is not able to be open. Mm -hmm. uh, we went to um, a a remote, essentially fitness center. So we're using a thing called Bridge Athletics. Uh, so this is a group that um, spent the summer researching uh, with other folks uh, around the state of who has online platforms that could be utilized to, again, develop quality programming where we can actually push out a variety of um, workout programs to persons who either have no equipment, have some equipment, various levels of um, skill level, um, and then to be able to combine that with what we're doing on Canvas in terms of the uh, academic piece to be able to, again, provide what we would normally do face-to-face -face in the fitness center. And so uh, the group that we're using called Bridge, Bridge Tracker is a mobile app. Um, and we've had, uh, I think, pretty good success with that. Um, but, but it's been challenging for students in terms of being able to enroll for courses. And, you know, one of the values of of activity classes is that these are done with other people. I mean, humans, we, we like to be around people. We like to hang out with others. And so oftentimes um, I, I think it's really highlighted how challenging it can be for many people to, to find the motivation to be um, again, remote and, and, and sort of doing this on your own. Um, so trying to create some opportunity for people to connect with one another. And again, Bridge Tracker allows us to do that, although not quite in the same sense that we would normally have it if it was face to face. Yeah, it definitely does seem to be a conversation about mitigating and doing the best you can. You know, you're not going to get there, but if you can get close enough. I mean, I'm curious about in terms of with, without weights and without equipment, is the resistance like, are you looking for bands throughout your house? Or are you just using like a Pilates kind of thing where you're like positioning yourself in a certain way to kind of build that resistance? Or is it just not, you don't use that for like strength building and it's only for like cardiovascular stuff? Yeah, it's mostly cardiovascular and mostly muscular endurance. It's, it's pretty hard to do uh, with body weight exercises to build, you know, uh, just pure strength if you're, if you're looking, looking at that. But uh, from that standpoint, um, you know, it's funny, I, I, last uh, spring I had a, uh, a project for a couple of my uh, student interns and I said, okay, if I wanted to do strength training and I didn't have any weights at home, how would I do that? So they created a little video for students to use where taking my backpack and loading it with, you know, all, you know, soup cans and all kinds of different things. Uh, put the backpack on, now I do uh, squats mm -hmm. uh, to be able to uh, utilize jugs of water or any of those kinds of things to um, create weight within your house using the use of a broomstick to be uh, and hanging some things off the side. So how could you safely do that? Uh, and they came up with some really, really great ones. I, I really have to say I enjoyed it. Uh, one of my favorites was putting the dog on the back and then um, doing your push-ups. So that was always a fun one. So anyway, but uh, you know, people get really creative in, in terms of what they can do. And um, in many cases, what we found with students is that they've been like, um, you know, I didn't think I could do this. And yet, on the other hand, I have way more flexibility in terms of time. So there's actually been a little bit of a trade-off with that. So some folks have found that this remote actually works okay for them. So that will probably give us some idea of what we might do. Uh, I, I was gonna say post COVID, but I'm not sure that's accurate. I think it's just gonna be with COVID um, in terms of maybe even continuing to provide remote programming for students. 
So yeah. something we hadn't thought of before, but something that we might continue. We've learned some good, some good lessons, I think. Yeah, the broomstick with the two jugs of water. That's that classic kung fu movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoisting on the back, <laughs> yeah. going up the steps, going up the thousand steps or whatever. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's but, cool yeah, movie it, right there. But tell me this, though. You know when you would see that scene, there was a fight going to break out soon. Anytime <laughs> you saw him carry the broomstick with the two water, it was going to be on pretty no, that, soon. That was, the, that was the intro training montage where he's like, why do I have to do this? This is terrible. And then like <laughs> six months later, he's like, thank you. You taught me everything I need to learn. I'm ready to <laughs> avenge your death, Master. You know? <laughs> Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I, that's the thing that I think about the most in terms of what if I used to, I, I never liked working out with other people, you know, full disclosure, but it was motivating because I yeah. couldn't just slack and do nothing like sit in the corner and just like look at my phone mm -hmm. because if, hey, why did you ask me to come here and work out with you? You're not going to yeah. work out. You know? So then having a spotter and, and, and switching off reps and sets and stuff that helps. So losing that. But at the same time, what you mentioned is there's there's unforeseen benefits to all this stuff. Like even thinking about the the Zoom environment we're in now, like com certain committees and meetings. Like I can I'm I'm able to stay informed and attend a lot more things than I would have otherwise because I would have been like I'm not going to go to that meeting. But if it's on Zoom, I just click the link and have it on in the background with my video off and I can listen. You know, so so there's mm -hmm. certain things that we definitely do want to keep, but then there's other things where it's like oh man, I can't wait to get to not yeah like you said not a post COVID existence, but just a a COVID mitigated society yeah. you know, where, where, where we where it's, is around, but we know what we know what's going on now because there were so many unknowns at first and you having to navigate, you know, these unknowns and, and create some a program that worked around it where people are, you know, together in big, in a group, you know, and, and there's instruction going on, like uh, kudos to you, absolutely kudos to you and your team and, and everything that, that, that the, the whole process actually, you know, so. Well, it's, it's been, as you say, you know, it's, it's really been a team effort. Um, uh, you both uh, know Diego Ramirez, who has been really very, very instrumental for us to um, really navigate this, this um, uh, bridge tracker. So we were able to, um, through quite a bit of research, identify different platforms that we could use. Um, and one of the ones that we really wanted to make sure was that there was video components to them that really um, highlighted proper uh, technique. And so, and then how we can actually utilize the, the program to then build uh, workouts. So we were able to find that. And then we got the um, go ahead to purchase that. I think it was three weeks before the semester started. And so then it was like, okay, <laughs> now we've got to utilize this to really build these programs out. And so Diego was just fantastic in terms of just diving in, learning it, uh, being able to teach us in terms of, okay, how, to, how we, can we do this? What's available on the program that we can use? What, how can we tweak it? It was really awesome. So um, hats off to him for, for his input on that. And frankly, that was, I think, something that really saved us. And, and we were able to provide something valuable for students. I think, you know, I was kind of, made, you know, I was thinking about what you were saying, too. And it's so interesting because in the light of the pandemic, I feel like exercising and working out is what is allowing a lot of people to keep their sanity and in all of this so and and the creativity part about like trying to look at things anew where you're like oh i don't have access to this but you know how am i gonna still continue with what my goals are in terms of conditioning and exercising like you know like i like the idea of the cans in the backpack uh or just getting kind of creative it made me kind of think a little bit about you know i think it was world war ii um where people are like okay uh, food was getting scarce and people started to, you know, do the Hoover gardens and stuff like that. It's just yeah. that type of creativity in the midst of adversity is, is, is always 
refreshing to to kind of hear hear about you know yeah i think it's 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 the old adage you know uh, necessity is the mother of invention and mm. you know we see that so often and it's been really interesting to see how creative as i said students have been um or on the same hand that you know that they might have taken say an hour to go work out um, many people find that, well, now I'm not having to travel. I'm not having to do these other things. So I can take these smaller segments of activity and, and put them in where I hadn't before. And that's actually been, I think, something that's been helpful for students in terms of, hmm, I can maybe manage my time a little differently on here. So yeah. um, that's been good. Um, but the thing that we have absolutely seen with our students is the use of physical activity uh, to manage stress and the amount of stress that our students are under and um, how beneficial many have found exercise to be as a mechanism for just finding some me time to be able to um, have that sense of accomplishment, uh, you know, that I, you know, I'm not sitting in front of a computer. Um, you know, I was always a little bit hesitant about um, the use of technology for exercising because it's like, okay, let's get away from some technology. Um, and I realized, you know, that, you know, that ship sailed, Ellen, you're going to have to just jump <laughs> on board there. So, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's get into the, the real world. Here. So, um, and it's actually this, this program that we use is actually quite nice because it's, you can, you can, it, it can be right there with you as your guide, or you, it can be a little bit in the background. So, you know, depending on what your own relationship is with technology, you can, sort of um, utilize a lot of the features or, or not. And um, so it can still be useful. Yeah, that, that's a great point you raised because I mean, I've been able to keep up with doing some exercise just because I was always very excuse driven, you know, okay, I'll do it, but oh, this is, this is coming up. Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I'm so tired from doing that. But now I, I there's no excuse. There's literally no, no excuse I can make up that would, that would be, you know, take, take precedence over, over taking care of myself. And, and you're right. When you're exercising the internal monologue, like your brain is always running to yourself, of course, sure. but mm -hmm. your internal monologue while exercising, it's, it's different for me than working. You know, it's my yeah. working monologue and my exercising monologue. My exercising monologue is a lot more fun to be around, you know, yeah. like yeah, yeah. It's, it's tired when I'm tired. It gives me a break when I need a break, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's much more paced and measured. Whereas yeah. my working brain is like, okay, I need to get away from this for a while. So yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely can co-sign that 100%. We, we, uh, I, I did read a book over the pandemic, uh, a few, but one of the ones was um, Atomic Habits. And um, uh, the, uh, the author on there, James Clear, talks a lot about habit stacking and the concept of, um, so for example, uh, well, here's one. So I wanted to add push-ups. I said, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to start my day out with doing some, you know, just simple push-ups, nothing, nothing too dramatic. So um, I decided to add those two, you stack them to a habit that you do. Well, I make coffee in the morning. So now when I push the button on the coffee maker, I go and I do push-ups until it beeps that it's, it's ready. It's usually about a minute. And so sense of accomplishment, finished it, try to do one more than I did the day before. Um, but it's an easy habit. So now that habit is part of what I do. And so... Um, he has a couple of strategies that he uses um, that are, are, I think are really pretty useful. So we've incorporated that into uh, some of the modules that we do on Canvas around uh, in the PE 149 classes um, or in the life fitness classes. And, um, and that's been helpful. Students seem to have uh, sort of, that, that seemed to have resonated a bit with them, this idea of habit stacking. So you never know, maybe when you click on the next uh, Zoom session, 
that you have in the background, um, when the session starts, you, you know, you knock out, you know, 10 push-ups or something and then, uh, or, or every 15 minutes or, you know, however you want to do it. Let's get it hung. You heard it there from Alan <laughs> first, man. No excuses. I mean, honestly, it's something that I started doing during, during this pandemic was push-ups, And I, I I'm up to like, I think three sets of 20 now where when I started, I was literally doing like on my knees with, Yay! Yeah, that's I, awesome. Like, Kind of, sort of. I, I, I still have. I'm still skeptical that my form is good, and I, and I still find myself kind of like bending in weird ways. But yeah, it has, it has been nice. Although, although if you ask me to do ten right now with 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 your eyes watching, I'd be, I'd be terrified. I don't think I could do it. That's all right. It's okay. Don't worry. I won't. I, I don't. I don't want to see that visual, hon. I'm good. I'm but, good. But but you know the habit stacking that you know it's a concept used in a lot of a lot of fields. You know programming. You know the idea of iterative iterative improvement mm-hmm. where you run. You know you, you keep building on the same. On the, you have initial program. You keep building, adding little pieces here and there, building pieces there, and it, and it's just it's 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 a good. That's very good kind of a sound way of thinking. Where yep. take take your routine, add little tweaks to it, and all, it's fresh. It becomes fresh after a while. Yeah. You know, and if it's new to you, kind of thing. So. And it's okay if you count by two instead of one. So. <laughs> oh, I'll do I'll do fifty push-ups then. Right? Yeah, there you go. See? I go by fives though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I did want to okay. touch on as long uh, along with the the, the PE classes, you also are the assistant athletic director. So, if you would just go, you know, touch on it briefly, the the, the thinking process or the, the process behind you know athletics uh, through the fall to the spring to now not having it, not doing any uh, of the spring season. Um, just kind of the thinking or process behind that a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, I think, you know, paramount has always been, um, you know, student and, and instructor safety. And so, um, you know, we always are adhering to the guidelines that are there. And of course, the NCAA has put out, you know, their set of guidelines, the 3C2A, uh, which is the, the um, governing uh, board for California Community College Athletics. They have what's referred to as the working group, which is the group that has put together these um, uh, sort of plans and, and templates for, you know, could we have fall sports? Probably not. If What about if we move the fall sports into what was being referred to as spring one? <clears throat> and then spring two would have been the spring sports. So delaying the start of seasons and pushing them into May and June, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, all of that is predicated on testing. And so it's all predicated, you know, once you get into a situation where you have any kind of face-to-face, uh, whether, whether you're going to be competing um, or you're going to have more. Um, so even if it's practice sessions where you have more interaction, you know, where there's less than six feet um, or persons are exchanging materials. So for example, a ball or something along those lines, you know, now you're looking at, at doing testing and that testing is uh, much more frequent and uh, we don't have testing on campus. Many of the programs that have been um, implementing um, the second uh, spring two that have chosen to participate in spring two have uh, either testing on their campuses because in many cases it's once a week or if you have other events so for example your support staff might be getting tested multiple times a week um, but if you're doing indoor sports and some of those it's it's definitely weekly testing and so prior to any kind of event or contest you would have to have 48 hours um, you would have to have your test results 48 hours ahead of time which then means you have to schedule. And because we don't have any of that on our campus and it's you know relying on the community testing, uh, that makes it really a challenge for our students to meet those guidelines, <clears throat> excuse me, meet those guidelines. And then for us to be able to um, make certain that they were in a, a safe position to be able to do that. 
And then of course, you know, if you're traveling now, you've got, instead of one van, you're taking three vans um, because of social distancing and things. So a lot of logistics that went into that. I think we're gonna be able to in the late spring, uh, probably late April, uh, looks as though we may be able to do some scrimmaging of other institutions. And so we're trying to get that um, in line. And again, much of that is uh, having testing schedules and then making certain that those students are tested. No test, no participation. So it's, um, uh, you know, the target moves a little bit, seems like <laughs> daily. Mm -hmm. The good news is we, we are trending, I think, in the, in the right directions. And so hopefully we can get back to some um, opportunity for our students to participate pretty soon. Yeah, just just looking at the testing process, how much of that has changed. I mean, early on, you know, early in the back in the fall and stuff, when the when the labs were backed up, where it was taking two or three weeks to get results back. I mean, this was before the NBA had that saliva test that got spread out. A, uh, you know, that has changed a lot mm -hmm. in terms of allowing teams to do more rapid testing, get results quicker. Sure. Because you know, waiting for lab and stuff. So, so yeah, thinking about that logistical stuff, I that I mean, I knew the testing was a, was an issue, but I, I didn't even think about the fact that it was because it was dependent on on lab results coming back. And getting, you know, be, having these windows where everything would work out. Yeah, it, it definitely is a lot to kind of take in and, and kind of a lot of hoops to jump through, you know, because, you know, if you ask if you ask the students, they want to play. But, sure. you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. you know, that's it, it's it's what they do, you know, and, and um, you know, the, it's 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 how, you know, it's just part of the challenge, you know, in terms of uh, it's like anything else. You know, we 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 practice, we practice and then we have game day, which is like your test. You know, how much of what you did in practice did you really absorb? How can I apply it? This is a, a unique and a novel setting that I'm in now. How do I how do I use those skills to be able to, you know, meet this challenge? So, yeah, we'd love for our student athletes to be able to compete and, um, you know, are, are trying to work towards that to be able to, to do that in some way, shape or form. There is a, a an opportunity for scrimmages um, as opposed to a, a full on game that you can do scrimmages or inter squad scrimmages. But again, it's all predicated on on having appropriate testing. Has there has there been any talks surrounding maybe bringing getting a a testing site on campus? Um, We're all for it. Uh, we, I'd love mm. to see testing on campus. Um, mm. And you know there is some cost that's involved uh, with some of that, and it's um, I think it's a it's a cost that's well worth it, uh, particularly when you have um, at this point we're probably looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of if you were to consider the spring sports that would be um, have the opportunity to scrimmage and and want to take advantage of that, um, you know you're probably looking somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe eight hundred to a thousand tests um, to to be able to fully do that. Um, but even still, I mean, I'm, I'm a big in favor of, of testing, even, you know, when we get back into, so in the fall campus testing, those kinds of things, even with, even with, um, it seems as though even with uh, immunization and with the vaccine, you'd still need to have testing. So um, hopefully we can do that. Uh, it's, it's, I know it's being discussed uh, where it stands in terms of approval. I don't know, but I, I do know there have been discussions about trying to bring a, um, there are several companies that do this on college campuses. And, and I know that uh, as part of the HERF funds that were recently passed by uh, the federal government, mm -hmm. uh, we are ranking kind of programs to use the HERF money on. And I know testing is one of the programs that is, that is in that ranking list. So it just depends if, if that ends up being one of the programs that's passed through. But yeah, you, you hope it would get it done because it would make 
the backend infrastructure of, of, of at least the testing aspect of it, because there are many pillars to to consider, but mm. the testing aspect is is does seem to be a big one because in terms of that gives you like a clean bill to not be like freewheeling, but to at least have that baseline where you can yeah. now now you know if you follow guidelines you'll be okay. You know. Yeah. Of. Well, and especially because there's so much asymptomatic spread. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, you've you've got to have a way to be able to uh, track that down. And, and, and the asymptomatic spread is, is more prevalent in folks that are, you know, younger and healthier. And our athletes are the youngest and the healthiest of the, of their, of their mm-hmm. demographics. So in terms of if, if someone's going to be asymptomatic, it's going to be, it's going to be them. And so I, I always, and, and if you look at other sports, I, I, you know, like there has not been a sport that has gone on to play that has not had some sort of, you know, incident or infection or outbreak on some level. So that, mm-hmm. that has to be something that weighs, you know, weighs as well, because there are still a lot of unknowns. I mean, the myocarditis stuff was coming out and I, and yeah. there's still not a lot known about that. So, so I, I definitely think that, you know, that the fact that, you, you know, you, y'all took a, a more cautious approach and decided to wait and see how things are going. I, I commend you for that as well, because, you know, the pressure around you was probably play, 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 just make it happen. You know, like if, if we were a business to be like, just do it and worry about the consequences later kind of thing. But, but you, y'all really did it right. You know, like, like, yeah, kudos. Well, and I, I, you know, I think also when you, when you consider, and we, you know, as an athletic staff, we meet um, weekly on these things and um, you know, one of the core values, not only of our institution, but of the three C2A is the health and welfare of our student athletes. And uh, you know, we're in a pandemic. So, you know, how, how do we really demonstrate that as well? Um, and I and I know our colleagues also feel the same way on there. Um, and so when you have testing available and you can meet those guidelines, it, it makes the competitive part uh, more doable. Uh, but without that, it, it's you know you you just really can't. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you for, for illuminating the, the, the picture on, on, on those fronts. Um, yeah, we're we're going to do a little more illuminating, but more on your, on the personal side. Um, what, what brought you to SBCC or what, what was your path to SBCC like, uh, you know, over the years? Well, it's an interesting one. Um, well, I thought it was, um, but, um, so I was, uh, finishing up my graduate work at UC Davis and, um, the, the woman that I was coaching with. So I was the, um, assistant, uh, coach uh, for the women's basketball team up at UC Davis. And the gal that was the head coach was dating a fellow, a guy in uh, who lived in Carpinteria. So here we are up at, you know, near Sacramento up at UC Davis. And she's dating this, this guy down at Carpinteria who happened to be the cousin of Margot Handelsman, who was an academic counselor at Santa Barbara City College for years and years. I think she retired probably, gosh, maybe early 90s. Uh, anyway, so he, uh, they were dating and, um, she came back to the office one day and she said, you know, I'm looking at this job at Santa Barbara city college and I'm thinking about applying for it, but you know, really you should apply for it because I was studying exercise physiology. I was working in an adult fitness program at the time. I was working in the school of medicine at the time up at UC Davis. And so the job was a women's coach of either basketball, track and field, or volleyball, and then fitness center director and physical education instructor. So she hands me the the job announcement. I thought, oh my God, this sounds great. It's what I do now, except it's all under one roof. And so um, I applied for the job and here I am 30 some odd years later. So yeah, so I, uh, I, 
I, I, I might not have heard about it had uh, uh, Pam Gill not uh, been dating Ron Fisher at the time. <laughs> so there you have it. It's those, it's those little wrinkles and twists of fate that do make the stories interesting. You know, like yeah. the, the how, how does, you know, the butterfly effect, how do these two forces come, come together? And mm-hmm. there's always little, little things like that. That's great. Yeah. So that, that was, uh, that's what got me down to Santa Barbara city college. I do want also want to ask you since, uh, this is a uh, women's history month and you know, we, um, this episode will air in time to, to get there in, in, in time for March. But, um, as a woman in, in the kinesiology physical education field, I mean, it, I guess if you would just talk about that a little bit, I mean, I, I'm sure it was not great at times, but I'm sure it was also great at other times. So it was, I mean, you know, if you could open up on that a little bit. Sure. Uh, on the great side, I, I had just some amazing mentors along the way that were um, both as a high school student um, and then also as a, as a college student, you know, um, women who were in the field who were just great role models in terms of um, how they ran their programs, but also their contributions to larger issues. And so their, their opportunities to be involved in um, governance, typically within either the athletic organization or the physical education organization. So, um, you know, on both sides, uh, kinesiology, physical education, and on athletics, I, I just had really wonderful mentors, female mentors. Um, and of course, you don't see too many of that now. You know, when, when we start to look at the NCAA tournament has been, uh, women's tournament has, has kind of highlighted some of those things in terms of the decline of women administrators in uh, athletics. So, you know, back in Title IX days, you know, 1972, about 90% of women's teams were coached by women. And now that's down to about 43%. And you see fewer and fewer women in, uh, as athletic directors. Um, In the 3C2A, I think there are maybe 10, um, and and it might be less than that. So so that's kind of the negative side of things. so, you know, it's for me, I, as I said, it's been a, a wonderful career. I've, I've just literally loved every second of it. Uh, and yeah, there are challenges along the way, but I think uh, oftentimes, you know, the, the big picture is getting to work with student athletes who are just incredible sources of energy and enthusiasm and um, insight is, is really a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of what we're learning in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, like, you want folks that represent kind of who you are, you know, you want to balance representation. So, so if you're a women, you know, women's basketball player, it, it, it's a benefit to be coached by a woman, you know, they, she understands the process a little more. I mean, some, some of those guys are taskmasters and they might not understand in terms of wear and tear on certain joints and, and muscles is change depending on. Yeah. So well, I think, you know, sometimes you see that on, on, on with either gender, you know, that, that uh, oftentimes, um, you know, some outstanding male coaches of women's sports, some, some really outstanding male coaches of women's sports also. So, I, you know, I think it's one of those things where, um, again, I think representation is, is enormously important. Um, and, and I know how much that benefited me. Um, so I, I, all, I had all women coaches. Uh, there were women athletic directors. So in terms of my own path, could I see myself doing that? Yes, actually, it wasn't what I set out to do, but it, it's what eventually happened. Um, you know, I always laugh because uh, I, I was actually going to go into corporate fitness. And so I went into uh, to UC Davis to pursue a, um, 
a degree in exercise science and, and look at going into the corporate fitness world. And when I got there, um, the, the, the women's basketball coach uh, said to me, uh, we had known each other and she said, hey, I'm looking for an assistant JV women's basketball coach. This is back in the days where they actually had junior varsity teams. And she said, I'm looking for a JV women's basketball assistant coach. And I said, oh, you know, I don't think I'm going to have time. It's, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm here going to graduate school where you don't blah, blah, blah. She said, well, it pays. And I said, it does. And I thought, you know, uh, you know, she said it pays $400. And I thought, well, that's $400 that I don't have. I'll do it. So it turned out that it was like pennies on the hour, but uh, the best $400 I ever made completely changed uh, my, the course of my um, uh, academic career and then also a professional career. So it was good. You know, I, um, you know, I work with uh, athletics because I do athletic eligibility and I can say that, um, you know, Ellen's definitely has, is, is a ocean of knowledge and understanding. And, uh, I remember when I first got the position and, and, um, I was, you know, just like any job when you first get, you know, you kind of struggle through certain areas, you know, and, uh, I just remember, uh, you know, learning the process and they're like, okay, so now you call, up, uh, and I think you were actually the interim director at that time. Um, cause Ryan, uh, Byrne had just left. And so then they're like, okay, so then you're calling up the athletic director and they, they're going to come and double check your work. And I remember uh, Ellen uh, was the uh, director at that time and she came up and man, she had her earphones, she had her little pencil. She was uh, just like going through what I was going through and with, with detail and, and precision. And, and so um, I just have to take a moment and just thank you for um you know, doing what you're doing in, in women with women's sports and being in that space, because we know it's so male saturated and, and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's such a great thing when you see representation and true representation of, of someone who's in the job, knows a job, the ins and outs and can school you, you know? And so I just remember, I have to say, thank you for that because I, there was one moment I remember I was struggling. I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to understand this. And you were like, no, you're going to get it. This is just part of the process. You got to believe. And she was coaching me up on, basically. <laughs> you know, she wasn't, she wasn't getting paid pennies on the, uh, on the, uh, for the hour for that. But again, like it came, definitely came into, uh, to play for me. I saw her coaching skills. And then when she left, I, I felt better. So I was like, man, she just, she just straight coached me up right now. <laughs> well, and as you know, that stuff is so detailed, athletic eligibility. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, and so thank you for the work that you do with that, because it's, uh, you, you gotta, you, you gotta go down the rabbit hole on those things when you're in that at athletic eligibility, because you're looking at time frames and you're looking at units and you're looking at is it duplication of things. And okay. Which student did, was that the one student I was did? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I hear you. It's uh, and, and Akil, you do a great job with that. And you know, that, that athletic eligibility, you know, I, I always trust when you say this person's eligible, they're eligible you know, you, you haven't missed anything all the way through. So um, right. thank you for all that really makes a big difference. Hon, you got two years left, man. Come on, let's get you in, man. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I, I wanted to play basketball so bad, but I, I'm too short to play my position. I'm like a power, I'm more of a post-up power forward. And yeah, I don't have the skills to, I, I'm like Allen Iverson with practice. So I'm, I was never, you know. 
but I, but I do, you know, with the coaching, it is, it is two sides of it. You know, there's the X's and O side and there's just that mentorship communication ability. And, and just talking to you right now, Ellen, I, I mean, I, I can feel that that communication is, is genuine and pure. And, the, and that's yep. what reaches people. You, you can't teach yep. that kind of coaching. You, you know, like there's yep. not, not a motivational speaker class and it's not that, that can really get you in that vibe to kind of, to, to, to convince people what you're saying, you really just have to believe it. And then they, they believe what you believe. So, I mean, it, it, that X's and O's I'm, uh, is solid as well, because listening to you talk about all the eligibility requirements, I know, you know, the minutia very well, but then that, that more, you know, esoteric, unquantifiable, that, that X factor, I mean, I, that, that's what great coaches have. And, and I can feel it here today. So yeah, fun. she definitely has it. Well, we, we, we evolve over time. Let's put it yes. that way. I've, <laughs> I've learned a lot over my years. And I think if I had to go back yeah. and do some things differently with coaching, I probably would, you know, the, just the, you know, relationships are so important and oftentimes, um, you know, stress and other things, you know, some, sometimes you're not your best self and, you know, you just, you, you, you gotta, you have to evolve to be better, understand yourself more and be able to then, um, you know, deal with situations where you can be, um, you know, fully engaged, I, I think, from an emotional point of view and not be uh, uh, moved in one way or the other, you know, uh, positively or negatively, you know, to be solid in that, um, uh, particularly for young persons who are really counting on that, um, on that guidance. So uh, thank you for that. But it's, uh, like I said, it's an evolution each and every day. You did your thousand steps with the broomstick and the two buckets of water. Like yeah, there you go. Yes. <laughs> like you, did your, you did your thousand steps. We understand. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. She has. <laughs> All right. Moving on to uh, good eating. Um, this is our food section of the show where we highlight any uh, meals you've had recently, food you've cooked, restaurants you've been to that have that have been giving you life. Well, yes. You bring up, Ellen? I, yeah. I I did. Uh, it, it's interesting because I I'm not a big cook. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't do that quite a bit in the sense I like to cook, but I'm not, you know, it's just, um, usually when I'm hungry, I just want to sit down and eat. And so restaurants and let's face it, Santa Barbara has some amazing restaurants and lots of them. I heard a statistic once years ago, this, you know, you could eat out every day in Santa Barbara, every, every day of the week, uh, you know, and never eat at the same restaurant twice in a year or some such thing. Um, so, you know, eating my way through Santa Barbara would be probably uh, a fantastic uh, retirement gig. <laughs> so, um, but in terms of food, um, a friend of mine, uh, over the, the, um, holiday, we were, uh, uh, talking about, uh, food and that sort of thing. And this person had gone on a trip to, um, Italy. And so had this, um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, bolognese sauce that, um, at, at an Italian restaurant somewhere and asked the, the chef, Italian chef, you know, for the recipe. So I said, oh, okay. So uh, anyway, she sent it to me. And so this bolognese, oh my gosh, it's fantastic and easy, 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 easy to make. And so, um, so I did that a couple of times and it was just, it was wonderful, really, really good. So uh, if you like an Italian bolognese, I'd be happy to share the recipe with you. Is there like a secret wrinkle to it that really makes it amazing? Or is it just kind of the confluence of everything coming together? Like there's not an ingredient that sticks out to you like, oh, is that tarragon? I didn't know you would put tarragon or something like that. Or Well, uh, it, you know, I think it's, it's, it's the combination of things. But I did discover that in the process of it, I've made it twice. And the first time by accident, I was... Um, what had I done? I had, uh, uh, so it was uh, onion and carrot and uh, some other vegetables and you were supposed to chop them up and I just threw them in a Cuisinart and I kind of did it a little bit too much. And so they weren't quite pureed, but they were, let's just say they were really finely chopped. 
So, uh, but that batch was better than when I actually did it and I um, just chopped them with a knife. And so, and there were bigger chunks of that sort of thing. So uh, I think it might be the wine that is in it that makes it really come together. I think that might be the, um, the, the secret ingredient of it. So, um, and I'm not somebody that I ever really cook with wine or any of that sort of thing. Uh, and so that was always kind of nice. It's just, uh, you know, you just dump in about a cup and a half of good red wine into it and it's uh, delightful. Yeah, that's that's always my thing too, right? When I'm making a trying a recipe where you kind of go off the beaten path by accident, not like intentionally, and then it comes out really good, and then you try to make it again and you follow it to a T and it doesn't taste yeah, like it doesn't taste as good as you did it the first time. And I always wonder why is it like that? Like you know, is it maybe the expectation of trying it the first time, or is it like it, I just I do that a lot, you know, I do that a lot where I'm just like I mess up a little bit, but it comes out better than when I'm following the instructions. I don't know. Maybe yeah. it's just me. Well, this one has uh, ground pork in it and uh, pancetta also. So, um, and that, that gives it a really nice, a, a nice flavor as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm with you. Um, you know, oftentimes I make something and it's, it, you know, I don't know whether it's the anticipation, like, you know, I've, I've, I've really wanted to make this. And so I do, and it's totally fantastic. Maybe it's not, but it seems like it is. Uh, and then the second time, maybe there's a little luster taken off of it. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know if yeah. that's really what the, um, the the deal is on that, but it's fun nonetheless. Um, are 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 there are, are there of you cooks? Do do you like to cook quite a bit? I love to cook, but I don't like to clean. So that's that's what throws a wrench into things. Like I like mm -hmm. to cook, I like to eat the food I made, but I don't like to clean. And that's why I like restaurants so much. They clean up for me, so they take care of that stuff for me. So yeah, I've, I've definitely been cooking more, but in general, the, the cleaning part is still kind of vexing. So I don't cook as often as I'd like. Yeah. yeah I have to laugh because my sister, somebody asked her, what did you do during the pandemic? And she said, dishes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. I think about those yeah, old palm, olive, palm olive commercials where like it makes their hands soft. Like I should buy palm olive. Like that's what marketing works when you like yeah. put your hands like, oh God, that's a problem. Yeah. And lots and lots of dishes. Yeah. So, huh, so what do you got for us? What's your pick? Um, my pick for this week is I was thinking about our conversation about Korean barbecue last episode, and mm. I was looking for that kind of communal eating, and I, I, I was thinking about uh, hot pot, Chinese hot pot, uh, which is another kind of thing where there's a bowl in the middle with soup, and you dip meats in there, and you eat it. So it's kind of like shabu shabu, but it's like, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's like a spicy broth. But there's a place in Galita called Uniboil, and they do individual hot pot servings. So yep, you do I've eaten there. Yeah, and you can get it to go and it, it travels reasonably well. So and they, they have a boba shop attached with with the same owner. So you can get boba tea and hot pot. So when I, I ordered that recently and it was it was kind of like a nice little like taste of like it brought me back a little bit, just like that communal eating. Because hot pot is like a, a holiday get together kind of meal. Like families mm -hmm. go out, they all go get hot pot, you know, and, and when like you graduate high school, you go all go get hot pot and stuff like that. So, so eating that hot pot and like drinking some boba, I was like, Oh, this is like LA. Like I'm, I'm hanging out. Like it was, it was a good feeling, you know, it was, it, yeah. I mean, you're looking for those little escapes and that's what you talk about Ellen with like cooking and, and eating a good meal. Like it's that little escape or like your exercise brain. Like my eating brain is friendly too. my mm -hmm. exercise brain is friendly. My eating brain is friendly. My work brain is hostile. So yeah, that's what it's like. <laughs> yeah. my eating brain was like, it was happy. It was like, Oh yeah. A little bit of spice. Like, you know, there's these like little seafood balls, which is pretty like seafood pink slime, but I love it because I was raised on it. So like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just, it was nice. So I'll put, I'll put a link to them in the show notes to give them some love. Um, they do online yeah. ordering so you can, you can put an order online and pick it up when it's ready. Uniboil and fresh teas, the bubble shop is next. Nice. I went there with uh, Dean 
um, Dean Ovens uh, once, and I it was really good. I think I got the the lamb pot, um, and it was super. It it transported me too. It made me feel like I was somewhere like. Which not broth in, did you get? Do you remember which? I got the spice. Uh, it was I forget which. What were the options? Like a numbing, a numbing spicy one. Like I a, didn't get that one. Not the numbing like spicy one. Regular spicy. Then there's like a tom yum, and there's like a, there's like a couple of other ones. Yeah. yeah, I think I got the regular spicy mm-hmm. on that and stuff. And I forgot what he ordered, but yeah, man, it, I left. I I left there quite pleased. And then we did order the boba too. <laughs> yeah, so we were we were doing the boba and the pot at the same time. So just for the listeners, it's hot pot, not hot pockets. So don't go out here, you know, like it's, it's definitely, um, it's worth trying at least once. It's really good. And yeah, on hot pot, it's usually more like a mainland Chinese kind of celebration. I grew up more with like shabu shabu. I ate a lot of shabu shabu and ate a lot of like, like Japanese, like teppanyaki. So I mm-hmm. came to hot pot later in life. So I didn't know about like, you know, all the, the split broth and all that stuff, but it's been nice to kind of, kind of rediscover that part of, of Chinese culture for me. In terms of like, yeah, it's it's pretty delicious. I mean, it can get expensive in certain places, but that's where Uniboil is nice because they give you a set price, you get everything in there, and there's all you can eat places too, you know. So yeah, that's my pick for this week. Nice. I have to say, I am so looking forward to as restaurants begin to open again and you know get able to get back out and experience some of the really just you know as you say, just a lot of the delightful food that's out there that is, um, you know, things you wouldn't make at home. I would, you know, uh, it, you know, I don't have those skills to be able to do that. And um, just but to be able to enjoy um, it's just the creativity that people bring to um, to meals and yeah. uh, and to the experience of eating. It's just, it, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm looking forward to those opportunities again as uh, things begin to open. Yep, definitely. Okay creativity and hospitality because that's the service when the service is really good yep. I, can, I can excuse a, a mediocre meal i don't i don't i can't excuse a bad meal but a meal that just gets the job done food wise but where the service is really good and they, you really feel feel taken care of like that that's still a good experience to me i mean it's, it's why i love you know like like a lot of restaurants where i always tell people i don't have any taste because i like everything but no i mean i know when something is bad but i also know when they're trying really hard and they really put their all into it like i have to respect that no matter what so yeah yep. that hospitality aspect of it is important Right. You'll get a kick out of this, especially because Akil, I know, I know you're a Yankees fan. <laughs> through and through. Through and through. <laughs> so I went to um, Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium, a few summers ago. And so I'd never been and I wanted to go check it out. Anyway, so one of my all-time favorite things to do is um, uh, go to a weekday day game baseball. That to me is like playing hooky, right? So... <laughs> Anyway, so there I am, and I'm in uh, Yankee Stadium. So get there early, and of course have to get the hot dog and the uh, and the beer. So anyway, go to the concession stand, and um, this this uh, woman who is a, a older woman who was um, serving this gets me my hot dog and the beer. Big smile on her face. She just looks so happy. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Can I ask you a question?" I said, "God, you you just seem so happy." And she said, "Well, I am." She said, "I love my Yankees." And I want to make sure that every person that comes to this stadium has the best time of their life watching my Yankees. And I said, that is such a great attitude. I said, how long have you been at this job? She goes, this is year number like 43. I was like, good, good for you. I mean, it was, she was delightful. Best dog and beer I've had. No question about it. Yeah, absolutely. It was. And the Yankees, did they, did they win? Uh, well, they played the Oakland Athletics, and uh, yes, they did win. At that of course, time. they won. That's what yeah. we do. That's what yeah. we do. Yes, so, it's good. It's a good game. 
Yeah. Well, that's funny because that kind of leads into uh, my choice uh, for food uh, for Good Eats this week. And I, um, my pick is uh, a spot that's located on Figueroa Street, kind of right uh, adjacent to um, the transfer center or that parking lot right there. But it's called Norton's Pastrami in Delhi. And uh, I ate there actually a couple of days ago. And I got one of my favorite things to get is uh, mom's PLT. It's the pastrami uh, sandwich, just simple, but the pastrami is actually fried. So it's a little bit crispy. So you get the salty, the crispy, and then you get the, you have the lettuce on the bread. Um, and uh, man, it's so good. It's so good. It's one of those spots where if you blink, you'll walk past it. Uh, so uh, it's right actually next to, I think it's right by zone a second, but it's definitely the, the people are, are from New York. Um, their hours are like uh, really kind of, they have a small window. I think they're open from like 10 to four. So uh, you're, you only have a small window to get it, but it's definitely, you go in there and it feels like you're, he's been transported to somewhere in New York, just small, small, like hole in the wall sp space. But man, those pastrami sandwiches are good. They have a whole slew of, of, of things, but that's what I'm, um, sticking to this week, the PLT, mom's PLT. Um, I get extra meat because, you know, you know how we roll on. <laughs> yeah. We, oh, we yeah. play we played to win the game. We, <laughs> we, don't play, we don't play to lose it. We play to win. <laughs> well, so, I, I was just going to say, I actually thought you were going to describe one of my favorite restaurants in Santa Barbara, which uh -huh. is if you are a fan of carnitas tacos, mm -hmm. Los Arroyos. Oh. Which, is, which is right next door. Next door, it is right next to door. Norton's, and it's right next door. But the one that is downtown, you know, that which I think is the original, their uh -huh. version of the um, carnitas, it's a little crispier than some of the other ones, and they are oh, they are so good. I I don't even know what else is on the menu because that's all I ever order <laughs> is, is the carnitas tacos. As someone that worked downtown, I, I eat it both both regularly, and and Los Rios has Taco Tuesday. So on Tuesdays, the tacos are a little cheaper. So if you mm -hmm. want to try the carnitas taco or any other tacos, Los Rios, Tuesday's the day to go. Mm -hmm. I like I like Norton's also, and they have the little benches outside to wait, so they are pretty COVID respectful in these times. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I, I mean, if you're a pastrami purist, they, you know, the, the, the pastrami on the flat top is controversial. But me, I, like I said, I just care if it's good. And, and their pastrami is really, really good. And it actually yeah. is a twist because to me, it makes it unique. Like if you're mm -hmm. pastrami purist, you're like, oh, they don't, they don't just steam it. It's, it's, it's pan fried, but it's like, no, they're the only ones that do on the flat top. So you get those crispy edges and yep, those crispy uh, edges really, hey. really make it. And the pickles, the pickles, on pickles? Table, that, that little jar. Oh yeah. I, uh, I called my mom cause uh, you know, we have a saying that we say, you know, slap your mama good. So <laughs> I, I, when I, after I finished, <laughs> when, after I finished eating, I said, I, I called my mom. She's like, she's like, what? she's like, why are you calling me in the middle of the day? Cause you know, my mom, she's like always has fire, right? She's like, why you <laughs> she doesn't answer hello. She's like, why are you calling me in the middle of the day? And so then I was like, well, you know, you weren't here. So I couldn't slap you, but I just <laughs> ate this, this mama's PLT and it was slap your mama good. And she's like, and she's like, you know, that's when she hits me with like child, please, you know, you know, better than to slap your mama <laughs> and stuff, but it is really that good. And, and, and so um, like, like how we talked about how things are opening up and things are, you know, we're kind of trending in the right direction. 
uh, would definitely urge people that are in the Santa Barbara area. Um, I know sometimes my picks usually are in the Oxnard area because I'm all about the, the taco trucks, but um, this spot is definitely one to kind of, you know, support local business. I think they opened up in the, I remember when they opened up, it was like, I think like early, late nineties, they opened up. So they've been on the block for a minute. So it's worth checking out. The pickles are good. And I'm going to actually have to full disclosure I did order the chili cheese pastrami fries as well. So, oh. you know, so hey, you handle both. You handle both in one sitting too. Man, we don't, we don't, huh, don't, don't, <laughs> that's impressive. Huh, no, don't, that's don't, impressive. Don't, be put, don't be put my business out there on the show like that now. But oh, yes, yeah. I did. I, uh, so that's, that's uh, one thing that you will see on the menu that you probably won't find in other places. Pastrami chili cheese fries. And they're, yeah. and it's good. One thing I haven't discovered here in Santa Barbara that um, I used to have when I was a, a grad student. Uh, so up at uh, UC Davis, they have a, a restaurant up there called Symposium, which is a Greek restaurant. And they do pizza, but they do it out of phyllo dough. Oh, oh, it is so good. Oh, I can it, imagine. Yeah, that it is good. really good. So I come to Santa Barbara. I find a Greek restaurant. I went in. I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't see pizza on your menu. And they, you know, looked at me like, <laughs> we're, it's a Greek restaurant. We, we don't do pizza. Wrong country. Yeah, wrong country. So I said, really? Yeah, but, but there's this restaurant in Davis that does it. And they said, well, then go to Davis. You know, so. <laughs> so. I know of a couple of Mediterranean places in San Luis Obispo. The, uh, one place that does pizza with Mediterranean, like, you know, shawarma, gyro and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they do a filo pizza because that sounds incredible. Oh, man. Oh, it, it's good. If I you're love ever up there. Dough. I had a student the other day. She said she was transferring to UC Davis. I said, that's great. Here's where you need to eat. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dropping true knowledge. Dropping that's right. Knowledge. That's right. That's Here's right. where you got to go. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to look it up now afterwards. I'm gonna, I'll am i put that in the show notes because I will take the time to look it up myself first. Yeah. And I will filo dough pizza and UC Davis. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a um, good one. Yeah. So moving on to our uh, higher learning section where we, uh, if there's any uh, book, music, movie, TV, video game, anything that that is giving you life, piece of culture. I know you you dropped the uh, the, the Atomic Habits book on us earlier, mm-hmm. so, so you can expand on that if you want, or if you have something else you want to suggest, uh, here you go. You know, I, I it's it's um, I, I read a lot of things. I like to read uh, leadership, and I, I I enjoy oftentimes reading. Uh, you know, I I read different coaching books and that sort of thing, uh, particularly from the standpoint of um, like how do organizations perform well. So uh, I, I'm just kind of a fan of, uh, of Jim Collins in uh, the Good to Great, uh, you know, and Built to Last uh, textbook. So I, I ended up reading uh, recently his um, uh, How the Mighty Fall. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of course, this is sort of looking at, um, you know, his original work was around uh, Built to Last, which was, you know, looking at these iconic companies and, you know, what makes them so iconic, you know, Sony's and um, Hewlett Packard and, you know, uh, all these other different ones. And then of course, you know, one of his colleagues says, well, you know, those, that, that's great, but you know, how, how did they get there? So then he writes good to great. And, you know, the comparison of different companies in terms of how they went from being, you know, pretty good companies to really just iconic. Uh, and then of course the next part of that is what happens when these iconic companies fails? What, what are some of the hallmarks of uh, the decline? And so uh, I was reading that recently and it was, was sort of an interesting kind of thing, just, you know, as, as the world changes and as, you know, life around us changes, what, you know, what are some of the telltale signs? So 
uh, it's a good book. I, you know, I, I recommend that in terms of, um, you know, if you're, I, like I said, I, I like looking at organizations and sort of what makes them really good, what makes them, you know, uh, what do they do in times of trouble? And uh, this one was kind of an enlightening uh, textbook on there. Actually, not so much a textbook, even though he is, uh, uh, you know, his research is all, or his, um, his writing is all based on the research that he does in the, in the business world. But yeah, it was interesting, five stages of decline. Um, and, and the first one being sort of, um, uh, you know, kind of resting on your laurels and sort of thinking about, uh, you know, not so much what got us to be great, but um, we just are. And so that's just, just how we do it because, you know, we, we just are great. And so that sort of that shift from how do we get there to, uh, and, and kind of a lack of analysis, sort of an arrogance about, um, you know, what makes you great and, um, sort of the, uh, that's kind of the hallmark of, of beginning, the, the beginnings of decline and then getting away from what it is that really makes you great. And then looking at decisions that, um, you know, you start grasping for straws when you realize you're on the way down and you start to like, okay, you, you get away from really that, what really got you there in the first place? What are your real core principles? And um, so it's, it's, it's a good one. I, I recommend it if somebody was a, a good to great fan. Um, the, the follow-up is is interesting yeah they're good it's good concepts and it's 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 different because you know after the fact it's easy to evaluate these kind of things but in the moment it's it's very tough to to notice these imperceptible changes that are happening around you like when you when you you know when you get to that level of greatness maintaining that level of greatness is is difficult very difficult i mean it's one of those things they talk about boxing all the time it's not about winning the belt it's about getting the belt losing it and getting it back again that's yeah. a sign of a true champion, you know? Yeah. So, so when you're at that top level for so long, I mean, there, a lot of times you don't even notice that you've done anything differently. You think you're still doing it the same, but you to, in order to maintain that level, it's not doing it the same. It's, it's going even farther when you think you've already pushed yourself to the limit. So it's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 one, of the, it's one of those tough nuts to crack. And I, I worked at a video game company before I came to SBCC and the first, it was the, I worked there during the first year, they broke a billion in total revenue. And in mm -hmm. terms of if you had to tell me what the process was and how we did it, but nobody could tell you. We just ground, you know, nose to the grindstone, just powered through it. And then you look on the other side, like, I can't believe we made it through there, you know? So it's one of those things where you, in the moment, you can't, you can't evaluate it. It's only, yeah. you know, the power of hindsight and time to detach yourself from the situation that you can even begin to kind of form coherent points around what happened because it was all craziness at the time. Yeah. We had never done it before. We were just doing what we were doing, but ramped up and hoping that was enough. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. So I feel like on both sides, the ascent to greatness and the descent from greatness. I mean, in the moment, you're just living it. You don't know, you know, it's hard to, to really be mindful of that. But then when you take a step back and look at it, you're like, oh, okay. So it's good to have these books to have those concepts kind of distilled for you. It's like a shortcut. Yeah. You've, you have like 10, 15 years of working experience distilled into a chapter that's like, oh yeah, you know, like, it makes so much sense. But you just have to remember when you're actually applying this stuff that in the moment, it's just craziness no matter what. It's going to be crazy. So yeah. you have to like, you have that in the back of your head, but allow the crazy to take over as well. So yeah. Well, that's why I really like Jim Collins's work because he, you know, he does take a lot of that um, sort of, what does he call it, from chaos to concept uh, of taking, you know, what, what seems to be you know, these kind of disparate pieces of information. And yet, if you look at them in a certain light, you can see how they really do connect and, and having those dots be connected is like, oh, kind of illuminating, like, yeah, okay, now I really understand it. Yeah, his third point is, is always looking at sort of the denial of data that, uh, you know, we got there and then, uh, well, maybe there are some things that are slipping, but, you know, that's just, you know, but that's because of, you know, a pandemic or, you know, something where, uh, you know, we don't really uh, get to the essence of what it is to so sort of denying what some of that is. 
um, I, I think can be a real, you know, um, opportunity, you know, where we have opportunities for growth, oftentimes we, we or, or um, thinking about things new. I, I mean, I think in many ways, that's where the pandemic has been in some ways, um, it, it has given us a different lens to really look at some things that um, will probably change how we do um, business and how we teach and things in the future. Um, and, and not all of that being bad. I think many of that's we're, we're giving us some insight that probably we, we thought about before, but really didn't take the opportunity to explore. So at least I know from my perspective, you know, thinking about teaching online and then, okay, now you have to teach online. Uh, like, okay. So yeah, the, having that chance to be reflective, I think is, is time well spent. And, and right. how, and how easily all these conversations go from great companies to sports teams, you know, athletics as well. I mean, this all these conversations about be, uh, the ascent to greatness, maintaining greatness, yeah. you know, how to mitigate descent. And this all applies to athletics teams as well. All the great dynasties, you thought they'd win championships forever. And it's just a little psychological change or maybe, slight physical decline and then it and then your whole methodology has to adapt or else you, you, it starts to taper down a little bit or taper up so yeah if, if you yeah. ever get a chance the new york times and i've forgotten who the author was it ran a really excellent piece on um the warriors golden state warriors and sort of looking at how they approached um you know because they're you know their ownership was um a lot of the the google folks and so they you know, they, they applied the same principles in terms of how they would acquire a, um, a you know, a, a, a startup company or some sort of, a, you know, um, you know, something that was in the tech world. And so applied some of those same lessons to the warriors. It's, it's really fascinating. So um, I don't know, you, you know, Akil, you probably know, and, and Hong, you probably do too, that, uh, you know, they were, they had been a playoff team and they had my, uh, Mark Jackson as the coach. And, um, but didn't feel that he could take them to the championship level. And while he was an excellent coach, they just didn't think that he had what it took. And so they were looking for somebody with a little bit more flexibility. And so anyway, um, and then of course, you know, who's the PhD in basketball, right? You know, that, that's the person we really need to have guide us. And so they brought Jerry West in. And anyway, it was just fascinating how they applied those principles to the building of this, what be, has become a, a dynasty basketball team. Yeah. I remember Mark Jackson too. I remember I was like, what? They got rid of Mark Jackson. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. They went to the playoffs and they weren't that, they were not good before that. And you know, they were, they were bad. They made the playoffs a couple of years of Mark Jackson. They were, they were better, but to ha have that recognition in the moment, like we want to be even better than this when this was a high water mark for them in the past, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of guts and it's, and it's a move where if it backfires, it's costing people their jobs but they still took that chance and they, and they saw it through and look what happened, you know? And then, yeah. And yeah. So that's, that's, that's a good lesson to learn for sure. Yeah, um, they the had difference. Go ahead. Ellen. Well, I was just gonna say they had certain principles that they wanted in a, in a leader. And one of them was flexibility and the ability mm. to, to sort of take input from a variety of sources and, um, and give it its due weight. And, and apparently one of the big things was uh, in one of their first series, I think uh, championship series, um, gosh, and I've forgotten who it was against, but uh, the, the guy that was the film editor, you know, and in the, that hierarchy type thing, you know, that's, if you're the film editor, you're, you're, you know, you're not on the coaching staff, whatever, but one of the film editors said, you know, so-and-so is just torching us. And um, if we put Andre Iguodala on, you know, that, that's, that's how we're going to win this championship. And I guess Kerr was like, yeah, you're right. And so, you know, so that idea filtered from, um, you know, a person that had been watching all kinds of film, mm. you know, got his recognition and uh, said, 
yeah, let's do it. And apparently that was the, that was the key to victory. Shoot. I'm going to try that when we come back to sports, I'm going to hit up a Meropolis. I'm like, man, you just need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I well, probably, probably, probably won't go over that as, as smoothly as that though. <laughs> I always think of Hubie Brown. I don't know if you remember. He, you know, he oh yeah. Yeah. Hubie. Yeah. He'd be love Hubie. I, I could listen to Hubie Brown all day long. Yeah. So he's, he's on there. He's talking, I was, I'm at a seminar and he's talking and he says, um, uh, he said, you know, one of the, one of the key things about being a great coach, he said, never, never underestimate where your next uh, great play is going to come from. So he tells a story, he's coaching the Knicks They're in game seven of the NBA championship. And earlier in the day, he goes to his daughter's uh, eighth grade CYA, uh, you know, basketball game. And so the coach runs an out of bounds play that as, as Hubie is watching it, it's, it has all the elements of play that he likes. So it has, you know, misdirection, it has, uh, you know, multiple passes, it has several options, it's got this, that, and the other thing. So he steals it, he puts it in, into, the, into the Knicks playbook for, for that night, and they run it, and they score, and win. And so he said, CY, you know, eighth grade girls basketball CYA won us an NBA championship. Yeah. You never know. I mean, because when you break down the, the, the nitty gritty of it, it's, it's, a, it's a game, you know, so, so you just have, you just try some stuff and see how and have fun with it. And, and you'll, you'll see success more often than not. Mm-hmm. You know, if you stay to the fundamentals. True, true. Yeah. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll go next. Um, my pick is kind of, kind of in line with that, but I did want to um, highlight uh, because, because Ellen is here, you know, I want to talk about uh, uh, women's athletics a little bit. My, my pick for this, this episode is, the HBO, they did a documentary on the USC women's basketball team called Women of Troy. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was uh, mostly about Cheryl Miller. And mm-hmm. a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks know Cheryl Miller, just like, just like I know Hubie Brown as, as a broadcaster. But a lot of folks know Cheryl Miller as a broadcaster. But, you know, she was for a time the best, possibly best basketball player, period, on the planet, let alone best women's basketball player. And, oh, yeah. Um, you know, her career was, was, was cut short by a torn ACL after she graduated from college. But mm-hmm. I mean, she would have, she would have moved on to professional success and this and that, but just, just watching those old clips and, and, and the documentary, I, I forgot how stacked that USC team was. Cause they had the McGee twins. They had Cynthia. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, yeah. I mean, Cooper. Yeah. And, and, and the style of basketball they played was, was so progressive, you know, in terms of they, I mean, mm-hmm. they were just really pushing the pace. I mean, I, I always think of women's basketball in general as more fundamentally sound because I, I like I said I, I love to play basketball but I'm not I'm not very tall I'm not very good but I, I focus on the fundamentals like I play great defense I know how to I know how to box out and play in the post so I actually enjoy watching women's basketball a lot of times more because in terms of how I need to get better I I, I get more out of watching women's basketball than men's basketball because I can't do any of the things that the men do <laughs> I mean even, <laughs> even even the dribbling even the handles I don't have handles like that so but watching women's basketball there is always so on point in terms of the motion. The sets they run are always super clean. You're yeah. always getting you're always getting open looks when the play runs right. But watching that the USC the Cheryl Miller run USC teams was that sort of fundamental like precision, but with that that freak athleticism that was that was unbelievable. I mean, watching yeah. her move around the court, she could hit a mid range jumper. She could play interior defense. She would she could move outside with folks that rotate outside. And she really, I mean, was a pioneer in that point forward position where she yeah. would run the offense would run primarily through her. So you, so people talk about point forwards in the NBA. A lot of folks bring up, you know, Larry Johnson, Anthony Mason. They, they were point forwards by necessity because they were undersized. So they yeah. couldn't bang inside a lot. They, they were player point forwards because that was the best they could do because they, they yeah. initiate from the outside and lead in. Cheryl Miller was a point forward, not out of necessity because she was the best player on the court. She was, she was the, one of the tallest players on the court. She could bang you inside if she wanted to. She could hit a little, a little mid range. I mean, her game was almost perfect. Yeah. You know, like, 
Yeah, and 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 then just seeing the stories about how she beat Reggie all the time in one on one made me also think about Reggie Miller's career, where he's primarily an outside shooter because he's playing against his sister all the time, and she's way taller than him, and he's not dry, he's not laying up on Cheryl Miller, so he has to shoot threes all the time. So so just like her, her impact on and off the court, and just for the game of basketball and, and basketball culture as a whole, I mean, just a, a true icon, you know. And and it's and it's one of those things where where even seeing how Cynthia Cooper's career blossomed after after USC and she she went to play overseas and then came back and and won championships in the WNBA and really got that league off the ground. Like the impact of that USC team period, you know, the McGee twins were, were great players, and they and and, and they ended up having a, a, one of the twins ended up going you know professionally overseas as well. I mean that that whole kind of dynamic. It was it was a, a good documentary, but it was just great to see those clips again and 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 how great that team was and and how fluid that basketball was. Because I mean, like I said, I, I love the game. So just like if you love the game of basketball or just love kind of and 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 it does go into Title Nine as well. So it's a good primer on Title Nine on women's athletics, but just great basketball. Like she's she, Cheryl Miller was so amazing, and and yeah. people forget about that because she's such a good broadcaster too. And now I think she's a coach at, at Cal State LA for, for their basketball team. But um, yeah, really, really great footage, really incredible. I, I didn't realize she was coaching. I, I think at the end of the end of the documentary, they showed her um, on the at, at Cal State LA. I think she's the women's basketball coach there oh, now. Because she she coached for a bit at uh, at USC. Yeah, and she coached in the WNBA. I think for the Phoenix Mercury or, or when they first. Started oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good yeah. one. She's you know it's th- th- those are some good hooping years. I'll tell you they they. they uh, that was, those were fun teams to watch. And then, uh, you know, Javel McGee is, um, I, I think, uh, I think he's Pam McGee's son. Oh, yeah, he is. I he totally is. forgot about that. Yeah. That's, that's his mom. That's awesome. Cause I love Javel McGee too. People give him a lot of, you know, they get all over him because of Shaq and the fool and all this, JaVale but, McGee. but he is good. You know, he, he's, I mean, yeah, he's, he's got game and he, and he plays well. He's He's not some loose cannon out there, you know. He is and he isn't, but you know, I, I love Javel McGee too. Yeah, man. Yep. Lisa Leslie and uh, I remember uh, Cheryl Merrill, uh, Lisa. I mean, uh, Cheryl Miller and Lisa Leslie was another one of my favorites too. Mm-hmm. Like she just had a, such an all-around game, um, man. Another player that I, I that whose career is cut short by injury and who makes an appearance in the documentary, Rebecca Lobo. Rebecca oh, yeah. Loba was an amazing yeah. college player. And I saw her when she went to WWE, she got drafted by the New York Liberty, I think. And yeah. I was like, oh man, it's a wrap. She's, she's going to dominate. And she mm-hmm. tore ACL. And it's just one of those things where, you know, medical technology being what it is now, I mean, it's better now, but it, it just is amazing. Cause it was a uh, Cheryl Miller and Rebecca Lobo. Those are ACLs. You know, we're not, it's not even yeah. Achilles. Not even a, it's, an, it's an injury that is definitely rehabable now, but at the time, I mean, yeah, just, just the medical pr- progress that we've made over the years is, is counting for a lot of that too. Here's some SBCC history for you on, on that front. So, uh, gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to remember the year, but um, so Santa Barbara High School uh, has run for many years the Tournament of Champions mm-hmm. and uh, women's basketball, uh, girls basketball. And so there was a period of time where that, that, was a, that was one of the premier national tournaments, you know, in the country. And so there was a, you know, they would play games all throughout Santa Barbara. And so you had teams, you know, these were the top, you know, 20 teams from all over the United States that were coming that, you know, would include, you know, the Lisa Leslie's and the Hamagies and, you know, all that sort of thing. Anyway, so uh, one year uh, we at Santa Barbara City College, we hosted the, um, I think the championship game and I think a couple of other games. 
Um, and Christ the King was uh, the, the um, number one team in the country at that time. And Sue Bird was the point guard for it. Oh. And so I saw her play as a high schooler, as a, uh, I think at that time, she might've been a junior in high school, maybe a senior, but it was like, wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I- this kid could play. It, it was really, I mean, it was great high yeah. school girls basketball, really yeah. top notch. It was, I, I went to our high school. So I remember the nineties, man, we would, um, uh, all of us, like all the, the ball players, um, uh, hoopers, we would ditch class and go check out the tournament at champions. Cause it was going all day in the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so sometimes we would like just ditch class and then just go post up and watch the girls play. That was, uh, the first time I saw Miriam Jones, she was playing for, oh, Thousand yeah. Oaks. Mm-hmm. she was playing for Thousand Oaks, uh, high school at the time. She started at Rio Mesa. Then she went to Thousand Oaks and I kid you not in warm ups, she was like above the rim finger roll. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what am I witnessing right now in my life? And then, um, I saw her run up at the Easter Rays up at Santa Barbara city college. And, uh, I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't even believe someone was literally that fast. It's literally like the first time I've ever seen someone with like world-class speed. Like she yeah. was done with the race and the girls were still rounding the bin. Yeah. Like she was done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, there's a lot of history about, uh, about, you know, a- athletics and women's and sports in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't um, necessarily, you know, give it as just due, but there's, man, I've seen like, I just, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe watching someone, like that caliber of an athlete, I was shocked. Yeah, I can remember as a, watching her as a high schooler uh, play basketball uh, at a couple of summer camps. And uh, mm-hmm. I just remember when she she stole the ball. And by the t- time the team even realized that the ball had been stolen, uh, she was <laughs> she was laying it up at the other end. And so uh, one one uh, coach, you know, she's some division one coach. She's up in the stands and her friend says, what just happened? And she said, you'll see it on highlights, the sports center highlights tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, she, she was quite an athlete. That actually kind of leads to my pick for uh, this week. Um, I'm going to uh, go with Last Chance You, the new season's out um, for uh, basketball. Um, and uh, it's... Um, they filmed it at uh, East Los Angeles uh, Community College um, and uh, with the head coach name, I think his name was John Mosley. And it's basically, we, it's the same um, kind of the premise as, as the football shows where they're just looking at, you know, these, you know, athletes and what they're facing with um, um, talks about a few guys that were rising stars, top uh, national recruits coming out of high school um, that just didn't, that bounce back just didn't make good decisions. Um, just a really good story. I'm hoping that they'll do something, um, uh, an episode or a series with, with women's sports because that needs to be centered. Um, and, and so, but just the, this, the normal stuff, good uh, stories about redemption and, and facing adversity and all the universal things that uh, we know that our student athletes are faced with, you know, like, you see them show like, like the food insecurity and what they're eating. And like, it's just, um, it felt like, yeah, this is what our, our students are probably faced with too as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was actually cool because they're in the, the triple C double A uh, conference. And so it follows them all the way up until the, their state championship. And then they actually play Alan Hancock in the um, semis 
or or I think towards the end of the season, and and that was a back and forth game. They ended up winning, but then that was the last game they played because it stopped due to COVID. So mm. I just gave away the show, but oh. uh, <laughs> but anyways, I, the, the the morals and the lessons are still there, and it's definitely worth. Uh, worth watching and i hope uh last chance you uh centers uh women sports because i need that that uh that needs to be done and it's it's an interesting show because it's folks that like were division one players and and folks that could ball and like had had pretty good basketball careers but for some reason or another just didn't end up getting that break and 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 getting on next so it's, it's like a second chance you know that's why you know the last chance you so some of these folks i mean you could tell they could play and you could tell but just life circumstances, things around the game and, and that, and that aspect of it, where you, you're taking these folks in and yeah, they on the, on the court, it's a cohesive team, but off the court, there's so many things going on and all sorts of things mm-hmm. going on that, that in terms of mitigating those circumstances. And a lot of times it's too much to overcome for some folks, you know? So it's, it's like just thinking about Cynthia Cooper in the women of Troy documentary, she heard her brother passed away, you know, when she was in school and she quit school for a while and someone had to bring her back, like all these circumstances and not like he was talking about food insecurity and things of that sort. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to get on the court. It's a lot of work to go to practice. It's a lot of work to be an athlete and just, and just seeing these folks who, who still have that hunger, still have that passion. It, it is a great show. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's funny. I haven't actually seen that. I, I, although I hear quite a bit about it and it's um, I, I think those stories are always just, you know um, you, you know, we need to hear them. We need to hear the kinds of struggles, you know, you just never know what someone's dealing with. And, um, you know, having to sort of uh, navigate so many of those things, I think it's just, you know, it's just really a testimony to, you know, the, the human spirit. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, this, the pandemic, it's just, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of what I've watched on Netflix. And then I think, okay, what haven't I watched on Netflix? I mean, it's, you know, you know, all kinds of stuff. And so it's been really sort of enlightening to see, you know, from different historical periods. And um, there's some common themes in some of it, which is, you know, just, sometimes humans are not very good to other humans. And, um, you know, we see so much of that, um, you know, throughout, I I don't know, you know, for whatever reason, you were were saying that, uh, Akil, it reminded me, I just, uh, you you know, Faha Banks. Yeah, she's a legend, SB legend. Yeah, well, I just got a text from her today and we were, you know, as we were texting back and forth, we were lamenting about the, the, you know, division one women's basketball weight room, you know, and that Mm. that controversy. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I just, you know, I said at, at the same time, I'm, I'm, um, I'm infuriated and I'm, and I'm not shocked. Yeah. Uh, which is, is a, is a weird feeling in and of itself, you know, just yeah. to be like, Oh, again, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. And my, my, my whole thing with that too, is like, I, I, I just get, it, it triggers us so much in me, but my whole thing is like their response too. It's like, people need to start losing jobs. And, and I'm not an advocate for telling people that or, or firing people. That's just not how I, I roll. But, but the reality is if you're supposed to be leading this charge, your apology doesn't mean anything now, like, because we see your actions and, and, and until people start really facing true repercussions for actions, it's like, you know, I, it's just frustrating, but a shout out to, um, Sedona Prince because uh, oh yeah I think she's great man I love her personality I think she's great for women athletes and she's great for just athletics period it doesn't matter if, uh, her, that she's a, a woman but she's just like I follow her and so I I, I just got to say shout out for her calling out the NCAA on their mess and uh, 
I, people just got to start getting fired, man. I just, I really believe that. <laughs> yeah. If there, if there wasn't room, that's one thing. And then she panned over. It's like this whole empty space. Like what is going on here? There's literally no reason for that, except you're trying to, to put a dot on an eye or some kind of exclamation point on something. I mean, at that point you, you think it's like, it's trying to send some kind of message. And then, then you're right. Akil, you're not trying to make examples of people. You're trying to set a standard and live that standard. That's what you ask of all your athletes, everyone that steps on that court, everyone who's involved with that program. You want to set an example and live up to that example. So the people in charge of it, if you're not living up to that example, you know, living up to that standard, then yeah, you got to go. You know, there's there's no other way to do it because they, they then they can get someone else that can actually follow that standard. Like we don't want to make examples out of people. We want to set standards and have people live up to those standards and be true to the to the to the to the aims of the of the program. You're trying to get people to be better human beings. And you're treating them like this, and you're and you're setting examples like this. I mean, someone literally has to go. I mean, the optics of it are terrible. They had to know someone was. I mean, we're in a social media connected world. You talk about not being able to get over technology. Did someone from the you know from the NCAA really think like this was not going to get online in some way? No one was going to notice that they literally had those like like calisthenic barbells. It wasn't even like a weight set. It was like, oh man, that was that was atrocious. But I think Hong, you you just hit on the on the on the major point, which was nobody did notice. I mean, the fact <laughs> that you had to have a strength and conditioning coach from Stanford and then Sedona Prince, the, the student athlete, put it out there that wow, look at these differences. Oh, and then there's food, and then there's the swag bag, and all the other kinds of things. But, yeah, right. you know, the fact that you know it, it's either you notice and you don't care, or you're just so blinded that you don't even you, you don't even again you 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 hey we're the NCAA we can do anything. You know, you, yeah. you're not seeing what you really got to have to be seeing. I don't know. I just, uh, well, I'm with you, Akil. Uh, I, I would like to see a, a change in leadership. Um, in the 115 years of the NCAA, one one female uh, NCAA president. See, that's... Judy Sweet. Although I've said that to several people and the response I get is, really, there was one? God, I'm surprised there was even <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. You know, gosh, that's, that's yeah. one out of five. That's 20%. What are you complaining about? See, and, and here's one other thing, and because I'll get this, this kind of triggers me because here's the also thing, and I'll and I'll stop with this, but the problem around this is like we can't control what other individuals say or what comes out of other individuals' mouths, but as an institution, you can control the narrative in terms of how you what you value, and so that's the frustrating piece for me on this is like no NCAA you didn't care that you only care because you got caught and then you're going to give us an apology, which we know you're not sincere. Cause if you really were sincere, this would have never ever could have ever occurred, you know? And so that's my piece on it. It's like, people got to start losing their jobs. Uh, we got to start getting uh, women in spaces where um, they can be seen and heard and, and elevate their voices because it's not getting done. You know, it's just frustrating. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you, uh, you can put it in the show notes if you want. I'll send you a, um, a link to a piece that Sally Jenkins did in the Washington Post. It, it's outstanding. Did you know that the women, I, I, I didn't know this, that the uh, winner of the women's tournament gets $0 in compensation. And of course, on the men's side, if you appear in the tournament, I think it's a $2 million payout. Wait, the university doesn't get anything either? Nope. Nobody gets, Why? According, according to Sally <laughs> Jenkins, yeah, I'll, I'll send you the I'll send you the link to her Washington. I would uh, I would definitely piece. link to that in the show notes, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's it's something that Akil, I mean, is mentioned, and it's, it's true. Like you talked about all the decision making you had to do 
Ellen, when you were adjusting protocols of COVID. These are decisions that get made, signed off on, and double-checked. It's three to five people. It's not just one person. You know, This is multiple chains of command that absolutely failed or abdicated their duties because, I mean, anyone on the ground would see that this is a problem. And that's the other part of it is these folks are too elevated from the situations they're in. They, they, they have no one to check them. And they have, and they know that if, if someone did check them, it'd be a slap on the wrist. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like I can, I can have my assistant draft apologies. So the cows come home, but it doesn't, you know, like it, it, there's no sweat off my back at the end of the day. And, and it's just, it's just one of those things where it, this happens, not just in CBA, this is all organizations. We talked about Jim Collins, you know, good to great, this and that the folks at the top in great situations are actually leaders. And, the, and, the, and in all other situations, they're really not, they're just there. They suck up on the power. They get high off the sauce, and then you know, then they get they get corrupted by it. it, it power is ultimately ultimately corrupting as well because yeah. it changes who you are. And you talk about you know, I talked about boxing champs earlier. It's about losing the belt and getting it back. If you lose the belt and don't don't have any desire, like, eh, I tried. Then then how much of a leader? How 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 much did you really want it? And 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 I feel like we should we should be taking more of our leaders to task. How much do you really want this? How much do you really want to be the change you want to see in the world? You know, and it, it, it's unfortunate that time and time again we are shown. Most of them don't care at all, and 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 yeah, and it's it's, it's unfortunate, but you hope to see that the that the younger generations are picking up this mantle because they do seem to be aware of these things and are cognizant of it. You just hope that they're given the opportunities to elevate themselves to those positions to make these decisions in the future. Which right now there are structures in place that are preventing that as well. But yeah, I guess yeah. I guess we're all we're all a little triggered. We're we're all taking this all yeah, kinds of yeah. yeah. But it's it's yeah it's 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 a conversation that we we have to have, and I'm glad we had it here today for sure. Yeah. I mean, and also too, I I'll say this too is like, I mean, we just have to, and then when I say we, I'm meaning like, you know, like men just have to do better. Like we, that's the reality. Like if, and this is going to sound maybe controversial, but if it was up to women f- to fix and solve this problem, guess what? It would have been a fix and solved already. That I'm yes, just, I'm, yes, sir. More, it would have been a, through a more equitable yeah. lens. Well, Absolutely, it would have been solved. I, I agree. It would have been solved. So then it's not being solved. So what does that tell us? Anyways, I'm done. I'm done. It tells tells us that the the methodology, the process in which they got their positions that they were at, it it was, was, uh, you know, slightly um, foul. (laughs) (laughs) One and one and one. No, No bonus right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, it's a, you know, as I said, I, I just, um, it, 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 it doesn't shock me. And yet, um, and I, you know, I, I know there, uh, I'm not sure who the senior executive uh, is that's in charge of uh, events. Uh, and, and, you know, oftentimes people make mistakes uh, regardless of gender, um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, not all women I think have the right answers and not all men I think have the right mm-hmm. answers. Uh, I, I think having um, multiple viewpoints in decision-making can be um, valuable so that things don't get overlooked, don't get, you know, swept aside, don't get um, put in a position where, um, you know, something doesn't happen because of, um, you know, we couldn't find a way to do it. So, yeah, yeah no, I agree with you, yeah. Akil. More voices is better. More voices always is better. Team of Rivals, there's that book about Abraham Lincoln's presidency. They made the movie about it. And it's mm-hmm. that, that was the, the main point was that, you need those voices at the table that will challenge you at every moment because you'll never challenge yourself and test your own thinking unless someone's pushing you and saying, "Hey, you're crazy here," and you're like, "Well, you know what? Let's 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 hash it all out." And, they, mm-hmm. and it was a lot of headbutting, a lot of conflict, but those conflicts, you know, got resolved for the good of the nation. So it's yeah, yeah. yeah. You just don't find out what you have until you you know 
bases are loaded and you, you don't have any outs, you find out real quick what you have. If you're striking everyone out and everyone's popping up, yeah, great. You're going to be happy because that's the only result. That's the only place you can be. But what I want to know is what do we have when you got bases loaded and no outs? What type of person do we have then? It's not through good times you figure out what you have. It's through adversity you really figure out what you have. And how many teams out here have the guy who subs himself out and pays for a ringer to come in from somewhere else? You know, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was truly higher learning. I feel like I feel like a better person after having that conversation with y'all. So thank thank every thank you both for that. Uh, thank you, Ellen, for coming on the show today. Yes, thanks hey, for welcome. coming on, Ellen. I, I appreciate this, and it's so great that you've done the Carol Voices and um, many more episodes to come. Yes. Anything else you'd like to mention about uh, uh, physical education or athletics before we uh, send you on your way? You know, I just probably just as a wrap up, it's it's been uh, really just a, a thrill to be able to work at Santa Barbara City College for as long as I have and be able to be a part of some um, growth and expansion for women's athletics, uh, growth and expansion uh, in physical activity for our students, because I believe it's really one of the keys that uh, we must have for our students is the ability to um, grow physically as well as, as mentally. I mean, the, the data are so clear about being able to, um, you know, d- develop as a whole person, mind, body, spirit. And uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm in an institution that values that, that values the, the whole student uh, and providing those opportunities for people to be, um, to experience all of that, uh, not only for mental health, but um, also to improve, you know, cognitive uh, function. We, you know, we just see students do better when they are physically fit and um, are moving in that direction. So I'm um, glad to be a part of that. It's, it, it's been a great thrill over the course of my time here. I'm sure SBCC right. shares those sentiments and is grateful that you've been here for as long as you have to, to help guide and steward, you know, the students that you have. We're, we're grateful to have you here on the show today as well. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely honored. Well, thank you. My, my pleasure. And thank you to all the listeners to tune for tuning in today. Um, until next time, this was Vaquero Voices.